0: Welcome to this special program, Policy, Practice, and Promise, Billing and Coding for Telemedicine in the COVID-19 Era. David Goldman will speak with colleagues Alice Epitropoulos, Scott Schachter, and Mary Pat Johnson about how the coding and reimbursement landscape for telemedicine has been affected by the pandemic, the impact of telemedicine on eye care practices, and how we view the future of telemedicine in eye care beyond the pandemic. This program is supported with advertising by Allergan, an AbbVie company. The opinions and views expressed during this program are those of the individual participants and are not necessarily those of Allergan, an AbbVie company, or its affiliates.
1: Good evening, everybody. It's a pleasure to be moderating this session uh, this evening, speaking about COVID, how it's affected our practices, and specifically focusing on telemedicine aspects of healthcare. Obviously the pandemic has greatly affected us all in all aspects of life, but healthcare and certainly ophthalmology has been particularly affected and our way we interact with patients uh, has been affected, With regards to uh, telemedicine. This had virtually no role in, in most ophthalmic practices and now I think we're seeing quite a bit more. There's been constant changes to the billing and how we perform it and the different opportunities we have with our patients to utilize telemedicine. Tonight we're going to delve into a lot of that. I'm joined by and a wonderful esteemed faculty. We can go around the t- virtual table if you will and we can all introduce ourselves.
2: I'm Alice of Atropoulos, cataract and refractive surgeon, Columbus, Ohio. We also have a Dry Eye Center of Excellence.
3: And I'm Scott Schachter, an OD in Pismo Beach, California, uh, founder of Ocular Surface Academy, and I, I do a lot with ocular surface disease in my practice as well.
4: I'm Mary Pat Johnson with Corcoran Consulting Group, and we specialize in coding and reimbursement compliance issues for ophthalmology and optometry.
1: And perhaps we should start with you, just because there's been so many changes, maybe you could give us a brief overview of how the billing aspects of telemedicine has changed uh, from the beginning of the pandemic into today.
4: Well, it started off kind of um, like a light switch flipping. Um, On March the 1st of this year, after the public health emergency was declared by the president, Congress stepped in and really loosened a lot of the regulations having to do with telemedicine. Things like uh, requiring an originating site and a distant site for the patient to be sitting at someone else's office for this to be allowed went away. Uh, They loosened some of the regulations on HIPAA. Um, They loosened a lot of the regulations concerning audits and then expanded the code set that could be used. So very quickly, the doors were opened pretty widely for telemedicine and it seems to have worked pretty well. Uh, The flip side of that is when the public health emergency ends, um, everything is likely to snap back to the way it was pretty quickly. So Congress, unless they act, then we can't just roll these uh, loosened regulations forward indefinitely. They have to. There has to be a deliberate act to, um, to extend these. And there's been some discussion of that, um, but nothing that we've dove real deeply in.
1: I think, regardless of what political platform you are, we're all aware that uh, things are probably going to stagnate. Uh, in the legal system for quite some time, but you know, even moving back to the to the beginning of the pandemic, for for Allison Scott, how how did telemedicine assist you during the beginning of the pandemic? Uh,
3: for me, you know, I'll, I, I'll tell you what: I, we were shut down mid-March. Um, had a lot a lot of shalasia turn up during that time, an awful lot of red-eye shalasia, contact lens complications, and I'll tell you what was pretty cool about the whole thing it went a lot better than I thought. Um, I was kind of concerned patients might want to be on the phone for a long time. They weren't really like that, but they really, On I'll tell you what, um, to me, it made me feel like a lot more of a doctor in terms of you become a real interrogation expert on your history matters a lot more. You know, we can't just throw you behind a slit lamp. We really need to find out when did this happen, what's going on, what are your symptoms, what, what possible signs in terms of discharge, et cetera, blurry vision. So, so I love that intimate connection that I had with patients and they seemed very appreciative that we were available to be able to manage their conditions uh, without having to bring them into the office.
1: How about you, Alice?
2: Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. I mean, I think Shalazio was probably the number one complaint uh, during the pandemic as far as telehealth visits. And I'll kind of go into that in a little bit. But, uh, you know, I think that, you know, it was really nice to be able to have telehealth as an option, um, especially, you know, during the, uh, you know, mandatory shutdown, Um, you know, you know, it allowed us to be able to triage and screen uh, patients that had, you know, urgent or emergent, um, you know, matters. And, you know, it also kind of saved um, patients from having to come in unnecessarily. Uh, into the office. So, you know, again, I think that, you know, checking on our patients to make sure that their family is safe and, you know, not in need of any medical attention is important. Um, you know, and, and then also making sure that they're using their drops and, you know, making sure that they don't need any refills and things like that. So that was invaluable, at least in my practice.
1: Yeah, for me too, it was quite valuable. And especially we were shut down about two months during the lockdown. Uh, Financially, it was pretty devastating for the practice, but having that opportunity to have telemedicine with the patients was not only helpful, as you mentioned, Alice, in in reducing patient visits to the office for emergencies, but also uh, just being able to provide that extra level of care we didn't have uh, access to before. And I was surprised as well at how many patients we could actually take care of via telemedicine whether it was a Shalazian, was a subconjunctival hemorrhage. Even today, we have a lot of patients that are still nervous about coming to the office, and we offer them telemedicine. Uh, they're very excited about it. Just last week, I saw a patient via telehealth uh, who had a subconjunctival hemorrhage. Easy to diagnose, easy to, to discuss with the patient, and that's something that otherwise would have had to come to the office and potential exposure both for the staff and for the patient. Um, and also, if, we, if it was something we handled over a phone several months before, we wouldn't have been able to bill for it. And so now obviously there's ability to be compensated for your expertise in a digital environment as well, which I think is helpful. Um, Did you find there were certain uh, obstacles when you first set out? I'll tell you, we did, you know, we were using the
3: app-based platform initially and that became very challenging. And, um, you know, some of my older patients did quite well, but a lot of them really struggled. Uh, getting that to work correctly, we switched to web-based now, which has become a lot easier. Um, the communication, though, was pretty easy. Uh, you know, a lot of doctors expressed some fear about, you know, can I manage these things remotely? And I think once you start doing it, you recognize that it's, it's not that hard. You know, you can start a treatment plan, check back in a couple days. If it's not working, well, maybe you need to bring them in. I mean, we all can use our judgment. It's surprising to me how much we can manage I think, effectively through telemedicine. How I, think
2: about you a lot, else? I was going to say, a lot of patients are kind of nervous about doing it because they don't know if they can figure out the technology. Uh, but, you know, some of the platforms are very easy, patient friendly, uh, and, you know, healthcare uh, friendly, too. Like Doxy, uh, me, is very easy. And, you know, some some people just don't have smartphones, don't, you know, have the ability to do any, uh, you know, technology. So, you know, those patients, you can even call on the phone and talk to them, you know, just on the phone. And, uh, you know, again, I think that uh, patients appreciate uh, being able to, you know, stay in touch with their doctor.
1: And Mary, correct me if I'm wrong, but I do believe that currently for phone consultations, you can bill for those visits now.
4: That's correct, you can bill. There's a series of codes in the 99,000, the evaluation and management codes is the series 994. I know we think of ENM as the 992 office space, but there are those 994 series of codes. I think it's 421 and that series that allow for telephone calls. There are also a couple of G codes. Um, for a virtual check-in, I believe is G2012. And then there's one for a virtual just photo review. If the p- uh, patient snaps a photo on their camera and texts it to you, um, they can, you can be paid for that as well.
1: Absolutely, and I, I think we've all experienced that where patients will email us or text us pictures uh, hey Doc, what do you think of this? Oftentimes, it's not a very clear picture, but but sometimes right. it's something we can very easily uh, diagnose. And yeah, to have that ability to be compensated for, you know, for your time and effort is certainly uh, a benefit. Uh, you know, we've right. we've seen time and time again with these patients different changes with the current environment now. How to right. take care of them? How to bill for them?
4: Yeah. And prior to them loosening these regulations, if you got a photo of someone just through their phone. I I would kind of panic and you know you're now technically in violation of a HIPAA requirement, but during this period of the public health crisis. uh, That's all been really uh, relaxed. So taking the picture from the patient, I would remind them, you've just initiated telehealth, there will be a bill for this. Because truth be told, they've been calling you for years, right, you've been answering their call, you haven't been billing them. So now we need to introduce, do you want to continue down this path, you understand there's a charge, just as a courtesy, so they're not surprised. No, I was going to say, now we're sounding like an attorney,
2: right? <laughs> yeah, sorry about that.
1: <laughs> no, but I mean, I think, I think in the beginning, a lot of patients are going to be surprised by this, but going forward, you know, assuming things get approved to go forward by, uh, by our legal system, you know, I think this is something that patients are going to soon come to expect, and it's not going to be such a, a shock anymore as well. Uh, Alice, you, you'd mentioned doxy.me as an um, application. How about you, Scott? What are you using to communicate with your patients? I still think amongst some practitioners
3: I've I've seen on social media, people knocking telehealth. It doesn't pay enough. It, it's got, I'm going to get paid $10 for this or that. I think there's still not a, a great understanding of all the different ways that you can build. Like you said, 992, 994, 92. Uh, in addition to that, there are the consultation codes, right? Which are Are those G codes or something like that?
4: The the G codes are probably the least uh, advantageous when it comes to the reimbursement rates. Those are the truly defined as a virtual check-in. So that's a very quick phone call only. Um, If you're doing a true synchronous video telehealth, I think you're better off sticking with a standard CPT code in terms of reimbursement. It's important as we're kind of opening back up now and maybe integrating telehealth with an in-person visit, kind of as a hybrid, to read those code definitions very carefully because some of them say, if the telehealth encounter takes place within a week of an in-person encounter for the same problem, the telehealth visit's not billable. And if it ends with a statement, let me see you tomorrow or the next available, again, the telehealth visit goes away. So the spacing of those visits is important. And we too heard that people say you don't get paid a lot. I think those are mostly practices who are used to getting paid for multiple services at the visit, not so much the visit that they're complaining about, but they're losing out on all those ancillary diagnostic tests that were being done that now have to be deferred. But the value of the visit itself is right off the E&M fee schedule. So that piece really shouldn't be debated. It's the OCT that they would have gotten in person, which now has to come in another day.
0: And what
3: are the pure telehealth codes? Are those the 994s?
4: The 994s are for video, for phone call only. The G codes can be for a phone call or a photo review. And then you can use the 99 codes, 992 like EM codes that you usually use, or the 92 office visit codes.
3: And reimbursement increased for the 994s? For the
4: 994 codes, I do believe. I don't know if they've reimbursed if they re-increased since this public health crisis, but they did go up earlier in, in 2020 with the new fee schedule. And we'll also have to wait and see what happens with the 2021 fee schedule, because the proposed schedule shows cuts across the board for I-codes and cuts to the new patient E&M codes, but your established patient E&M codes are, are slated to go up in 2021. So if you use those for telemedicine, that too would work.
0: Thank you for tuning in to part one of our three-part series, CRST The Podcast, Policy, Practice, and Promise, Billing and Coding for Telemedicine in the COVID-19 Era. Please stay tuned for part two of this series as David Goldman and a faculty panel including Alice Epitropoulos, Scott Schachter, and Mary Pat Johnson share their pearls on telemedicine efficiency, including the best technologies and their most appropriate applications. This program is editorially independent and was supported with advertising by Allergan, an AbbVie company. The opinions and views expressed during this program are those of the individual participants and not necessarily those of Allergan, an AbbVie company, or its affiliates.